this morning we're in a series called the calling and we saw last week in first corinthians one uh, a message called we preach christ you know it's easy to get discouraged with all the things going on in the world around us but god has chosen us to preach christ during this special time on planet earth and we've been given an incredible opportunity to offer the hope of the gospel when the culture and the circumstances are offering anxiety and discouragement and despair. And we continue with the calling this morning in Ephesians chapter 1. If you want to head that way, Ephesians chapter 1, our second message in the series unveils the hope of his calling. The notes today, as always, are provided in your bulletin. They're also on the Uversion app if you'd like to look there. And we have children's notes available as well. Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll start a reading today at verse number 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places." far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. <clears throat> what a powerful piece of scripture we have before us here today. And I know that God We'll work through this scripture as we study it together. Paul had heard about the faith of the people in Ephesus, how they were showing love within the church body. 
And he wanted them to know that he's praying for them. He's cheering them on. And, and he's praying for some specific things, things that God wanted them to have in their lives. And in this second sermon of the calling, uh, we're going to see this morning four things that God wants his children to know and experience. Four things that God wants his children to know and experience. I bet there are a lot of things that you want your children to know and experience, right? There are people that you want them to meet, places you want them to see, thrills you want them to enjoy, foods you want them to try, lessons you want them to learn, faith that you want to pass on to the next generation, opinions that matter to you, which you would like to matter to them. And just like you want these things for your kids, God wants some things for his kids. And the things that God wants for his kids are all timeless treasures. They aren't limited by a shelf life. You know, the things that we like about this earth uh, are limited by a shelf life. There are cities where I went when I was young that I hoped my kids would be able to someday see, but now not so much because those cities have changed. Some of them are dangerous. Some of them have pretty disturbing things taking place close to the venues where we'd like to go. Uh, there are teams that in my youth I, I wanted my kids to root for, but now that desire is not the same. None of my kids really even like the same sports I like, right? Different generation, different opportunities, different media, etc. When I was a kid, I really liked going to baseball games, especially the Kansas City Royals. I liked to go to their games. Uh, I didn't miss one pitch the whole game. Now, I take one of my kids to a game, and they spend most of the time walking around deciding which type of food they're going to purchase, right? Uh, there, there are political figures or parties or ideas that I wanted my kids to know, but those things, too, are in a constant process of change or decline. There are foods I wanted my kids to try uh, that just don't taste the same anymore, some of the books that I've read or, or movies that I've watched don't interest them at all. And music, it is totally different than when I was a kid, right? How many of you, uh, how many of you, just for a poll here, you like music that actually was like done after the year 2000? You like some of that music? I don't see a whole lot of hands. A few, okay. How many of you like pre-2000? I could sort of get in here. How many of you like... I'm before like 1960, okay? Okay, there we go. There they are. You know, what's that station on AM, the, the old station, that they play the old country songs? Somebody help me. Uh, my son Cody listens to it all the time. Nobody knows? Okay. Does somebody know? On AM. It's AM radio. Yes. I don't, I don't know. AM radio. It's like, AM? What? They have that still? I think it's 9.50. 9.50 AM. Did it, nobody listens to this? John Tilford, I'm pretty sure, is the one who put my son onto this. So John should know what it is. And it could be that you've gone through some of these same dealings with generational nostalgia. See, the sights and sounds and experiences of this life are subject to change. 
But Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And what God wants us to know and to experience is timeless. It's for every generation. This is his calling to us. Look again at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. Today we're going to talk about the hope of his calling as the first part of our message. God wants us to know the hope of his calling. And so it'd be really important for us to ask, what is the hope of his calling? And so let's do a quick little Bible study on this so that we can clearly understand what God wants us to know and experience uh, about the hope of his calling. And so get ready. We're going to look at several passages rather quickly here, starting with Galatians 5 and verse number 5. And this is the Bible study portion of our message today, uh, just this short little bit. Galatians 5, verse number 5. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. And so hope takes place, but it takes place by faith. Now I want you to go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and let's look there, starting at verse number 5. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it does also in you since the day ye heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. Now in the same chapter, I want you to go down to verse number 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. That's just a little bit to your right there. Pass the Thessalonians and get to the first verse of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Now I want you to go to Titus. Titus is a little bit more to you, right? Just past 2 Timothy Titus chapter 2, and look down at verse number 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Amy was talking to me the other night, and we were looking out, and usually we can see uh, all the way over to Bogus pretty good from our house, and it was all smoky and cloudy, and she said, you know... She said, I don't know if I'm just getting old or what. Yeah, I didn't say anything because husbands aren't supposed to say anything at that point, are they? Right. And uh, she said, I don't know if I'm just getting old or what, but uh, I've been really wanting the Lord to come back more than ever before. She said, the world is just a mess, right? And you know, the hope of glory is the greatest hope that we have. Uh, If you look now to Hebrews chapter 6, 
Hebrews chapter 6, and verse number 18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. We are talking here about the blessings of God that he has called us to hope for. And when we say hope, we aren't talking about a a fat chance type hope. Like, I hope somebody gives me a million dollars this week, okay? Uh, Or we're not even talking about a maybe type hope. I hope my team wins the Super Bowl this year. Uh, We are talking about a certain hope, which God, who cannot lie, has promised to us. That's hard for us to even relate to that, because we live in a world where every single human being has something in common. We are liars, right? We're all liars. You say, well, I don't tell lies. Uh, I guarantee you've told at least one lie. Okay, and it may not have been this year, and it may not have been last year, but some point in your life, you have told a lie, right? Every one of our kids is a stinking liar. Just saying that, and yours too, right? Even our youngest, okay, he's seven months old, which in itself is God's biggest joke ever upon our family. Uh, We have one who's been married for four and a half years. And then we have a seven-month-old at the bottom, and he's a liar. Sometimes in the middle of the night, he starts crying for absolutely no reason, right? He acts like something's wrong, like he needs something. And then mommy gets up to go check on him. And I noticed that I gave her credit for that. She gets up to go check on him and finds out that he's lying, You know, we're all liars, but God cannot lie. That distinguishes him from us. And God wants his children to know the full menu of benefits that he offers through his calling. And yet many of God's children never grow in their understanding of God after being born again. And that's tragic because our hope grows along with the understanding of our hearts toward God. It's kind of like a newborn baby coming home from the hospital. Uh, That baby has no idea about life. He's been living in darkness for about nine months, but everything's about to come alive. All the senses are going to be processing new information for years on end. What happens when you feed an infant who's only had baby food up to that point, like delicious peas and prunes type stuff, And then you pop in a spoonful of chocolate ice cream, right? And all of a sudden, bells go off in the little baby's head. And he doesn't even know why, but all his mouth just droops open. Like he's stunned by this. Like, what did you just put in my mouth? And then you go back to try to feed him his baby food again, right? He goes from little twirly things hanging over his head in the crib 
uh, to moving cartoon characters on a screen. And he's hooked, usually by the age of two. Uh, then he has his first hamburger. Think about his first bike ride and birthday presents and Christmas presents and Paw Patrol toys and, and candy. And before you know it, money and phones and cars and girls. And as understanding grows, the enjoyment of life also grows. The more we understand about God's calling, the more hope we have in God. But if we never act on the hope we've been given, how can our hope grow, right? If the baby never grows in the understanding and enjoyment of life, we get really worried, right? It doesn't alarm you when your six-month-old has a messy diaper. It alarms you when you're six-year-old. Well, we won't go into all that, but it, it would be alarming if we didn't grow in understanding. It would be alarming if we didn't grow in our connections and our ability. You know, if new believers never grow in the application of their Christianity, that's a worrisome thing. See, the only way to know the hope of our calling and the hope of His calling in our lives is to act out hope through the Spirit's guidance. And the more we act upon the hope we've been given, the more hope we get. Each and every time you realize God's goodness in your life, you open the door to more of God's goodness in your life. And so it says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. God wants you to know the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So let's talk about the riches of his inheritance. The riches of his inheritance. The New Testament speaks a great deal of our inheritance. It says that our inheritance is incorruptible, undefiled, that it fades not away, that it's reserved in heaven for you. Hebrews 9 says that they which are called might receive an eternal inheritance. Colossians 1 says that we'll be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. Now, here's a dose of reality. Any earthly inheritance that you are given will be limited. It'll either be limited in duration or it'll be limited in resources. Uh, if your uncle leaves you a car... Eventually, the car is going to break down. If your grandma leaves you $10,000, the money's going to get spent. Even if you're given a big inheritance, say you're an heir of, of Warren Buffett or Bill Gates, you may have billions of dollars left to you, but you can only spend it for a while. It's time sensitive. Once you die, you don't get to spend anymore. Right? Everybody understands this, right? Earthly inheritances are nice, but they're limited. No matter what they are or who they come from, they don't last beyond this life. But you know, this inheritance that we're talking about in Ephesians 1 is not an earthly inheritance. It is infinite. It is inexhaustible. It can't be stolen. 
This account can't can't ever be overdrawn. The riches of his grace far surpass anything we, we can imagine. On this earth, this inheritance gives us peace in the midst of a storm, joy in the middle of a sorrowful situation, grace to endure through pain, love to forgive our debtors, strength to trust day by day, fruit that remains, clear purpose when the world around us falls apart. We read in Colossians 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is our inheritance. Now, that's just a little glimpse of our inheritance in this life. And in eternity, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. I promise you, it is gooder than we can imagine, right? I I said gooder gooder just so you would wake up, okay? Because gooder is not supposed to really be a word. How many of you knew that? Gooder ain't a word, okay? Gooder than we can imagine. For starters, uh, think about our inheritance in eternity. Think about this. For starters, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, no more war, no more viruses, no more tragedy, no more terrorism, no more elections, no more conflict, no more sin. God wants us to know and experience the inheritance that we've already been given through Jesus. Let's just say that a friend of yours receives an inheritance from a loved one who's passed away. And we'll call your friend Fillmore. Okay, your friend Fillmore gets an inheritance from a loved one who's passed away. There are no Fillmores in here. Am I correct in this? Any Fillmores? Okay. And your friend comes to you the next day at work. Yeah, I got, got an inheritance when my grandpa died, but, you know, I, I'm not going to open it. I, I'm not really curious about it. And you look at your friend, you feel more. What, what if it's property? What if it's a large sum of money? What if it's some shares of stock? You don't even want to know what it is. Nah, I'm, I'm good. I'm just enjoying life. You know, doing the nine to five, enjoying the weekend, doing it my way. I am sure that you would be slightly concerned for Fillmore's stability at this point, right? How could Fillmore not open up his inheritance? It doesn't make any sense to us. And yet, how could it possibly be that many children of God aren't even curious about the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, right? How could it be that we spend our time on things that don't matter a year from now when we have an eternal inheritance that we haven't even opened? Now, if you don't have any interest in your eternal inheritance, you should be very concerned about whether or not you really have eternal life. That's something to consider. Because God says that you may know the hope of your calling and the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints. And if you go back to Ephesians, 
What is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? Let's talk next of all about the greatness of his power. The greatness of his power. When I was a kid, there was a southern gospel quartet called the Cathedrals. And man, I loved their music. Still do. Uh, But they had a song that was written by Phil Cross that they started to sing at concerts in the 80s. And it is still one of my favorites. It's called Champion of Love. And it's a song uh, that portrays God as a champion in a very unique way. And I guess the only way to really convey this to you is for you to see it for yourselves. Now, some of you, this is going to be shocking to you because this is 1980s footage. Some of you have never seen 1980s footage, right? There are people in this room who have never seen anything less than HD, okay? Could I tell you this is not HD that you're about to see? This is 1980s video quality, but I want you to notice uh, the words of this song. So here we go. I guess, uh, I guess one of the most powerful songs I've ever sung with anybody is this next song we're going to do. Uh, it, may, it may sound like, and I've introduced this song for like this for a lot of years, but I did because it might sound like we we're singing about some kind of boxer or some kind of fighter. One of the greatest voices to ever come along in the gospel music field is this young man right here. And it starts out by saying, Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention? I'd like to introduce to you in this corner, robed in white, stands a champion. And he is the all-time undisputed, undefeated champion of love. Gentlemen, may I have your attention? I want to introduce to you in this corner of the good and the right stand a champion robed in white. His height exceeds the heavens. His weight outweighs the world. His reach reaches everywhere. His age is All of you and me, but an angry crowd crucified 
This king who wore their crown And they gladly watched the champion Going down Here's the best part I will never count him out For I'm a witness of the day he arose To retain the title champion of love And he is go back to the 80s for a while. Yeah. I mean, pleated pants, right? Vest under your suit. Pretty good stuff, the 80s. Some of you probably remember the 80s very happily. How many were born in the 80s? Okay, you got some 80s babies out there. Yeah. yeah. But you know, that song really just puts into perspective who God is in his mighty power. And his power goes beyond any generation. I love how the words tell us from that song that he's higher than the highest, greater than the great. No one will ever take his crown away. He's more mighty than the mightiest. He reigns from above. He's the all-time undisputed, undefeated champion of love. And when you consider God's power in a general way. You think of places like Job 38, where God begins to speak to Job and his friends. And let me just read a couple of the questions that God asks. And these are heart-piercing questions about God's power. If you ever start to think that you're the only thing that matters on this earth, and you're the only thing that really anybody should pay attention to, and that life kind of started when you were born, right? That's what some generations think now, that history started when they were born. Uh, Job 38, God says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if you have the understanding. Who has laid the measure thereof? If thou knowest or who has stretched the line upon it, Whereupon are the foundations fastened? Who laid the cornerstone? 
when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouteth for joy. And you read Job 38, and you read Job 41, and you see the majesty of God's power in creation. And you say, wow, God's power in a general way is so massive. But then you also consider God's power in a specific way related to your life. Because God's power is the cause of your faith's beginning. Your faith couldn't even start without God. Right? You you would not have been convicted without the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't have the free will to choose the gift of eternal life. If you look at Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20, uh, this is such a powerful verse and, and one that every Christian should commit to memory. Uh, and I, I think that if you would learn this verse and apply it to your life, it would significantly be a blessing to you. Look what he says, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, you may have missed that phrase. He said, I live by the faith of the Son of God. You don't live by your faith. You live by his faith. Christ lives in me. It's not because of me. It's because of him. And so Jesus is the beginning of our faith. But God's power also provides our faith continuing, uh, the continuance of our faith. And it certainly will be the power that leads to your faith's completion. Philippians 1 says that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. And we live out our calling through the greatness of his power. Now that brings us to the exalted position of Christ. And that's where we want to finish up this morning. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, And verse number 21, the exalted position of Christ. Look what it says there one more time. Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. I I love this because all forms of power everywhere fall short of the heavenly place reserved for Christ. God has put all things under his feet. And when you see giants rise up in your life, remember that Jesus walks over the giants. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We're more than conquerors through him. When the giant of despair shows up, God walks on top of the giant. When the giant of guilt shows up. The giant of lust shows up. The giant of anger, the giant of complacency or laziness or gossip or greed or jealousy or addiction or depression or pain. When the giant rises up against you, claim the power of the most powerful to defeat the giants of sin, selfishness, that try constantly to gain a foothold in your life because Jesus walks over them. Now, why do so many believers live in frustration and despair 
like they've never received a calling from the exalted Christ. It has to be that we don't allow God to be God in our lives. That's what it has to be. We don't claim his promises. We don't rest in his strength. Uh, We try to go it alone. And in your life, God is only as big as your faith allows him to be. Right? If you claim to be his child, but you never trust him for daily living, your life is going to look just like the lives of unbelievers everywhere. Your life is going to be tossed and thrown about by all the conditions that throw everybody else in the world around. No peace, no satisfaction, no victory. But if you claim to be his child, and you do trust him for daily living, you will see him put all things under his feet again and again and again. You know, all the things in life that you've worried about so much, you could have just entrusted to him. He's put all things under his feet. I love the opening of Psalm 68. It says, let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. That is the motto of faith we need for daily living. Let God arise. When the giant comes walking, let God arise. When the lion comes roaring, let God arise. When the situation is impossible, let God arise. Our faith challenge today addresses reality. Most children of God never experience the fullness of what God has provided for us to experience because they don't rest in the exalted position of Christ. And these are things that God wants us to know. He wants us to experience the hope of his calling and the riches of his inheritance and the greatness of his power through the exalted position of Christ. He has put all things under his feet. As we finish this morning, let me ask you this. What is it in your life this week that you have held back and not allowed Jesus to put under his feet? What is it that you've tried to go alone into? What is it that you've clutched all for yourself when you could just let God be God in your life and you could let him defeat the giant that faces you and put that giant under his feet? Let's pray together. God, We thank you that we could come this morning, be reminded from your word of these things that you want us to know, these things that you want us to experience. And I pray that as we go through our week, that we will allow you to be God in our lives, allow you to put all things under your feet, that we will face down this life and the giants with you instead of alone. Guide us now from this place. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.